Thank you, George and Donna. As we've been going through the book of Proverbs, we're seeing skills for living as God intended. Skills for living as God intended. And it's been quite fascinating as we've gone over different issues. I want to review the last six weeks with you as we're midway through the series. The first Sunday, we talked about proverbial wisdom, that wisdom is a gift and that we need to go find it. Wisdom isn't elusive. It's not random. It's available. It's a call to action. Proverbs says there's wisdom out there. Go find it. Come get it. Early on in life, I was taught that uh, Proverbs had 31 chapters. And if you read a chapter a day, that's every month you read the book of Proverbs, you'd be a really wise person. Well, I didn't carry on that for many years, but I know someone who did, Dave Carter, on our staff, for 40 years, read a chapter of Proverbs a day, starting when he was 19. And he's a wise guy, and he's finishing well. Proverbs just is that way how we can live and giving us wisdom. Then we talked about proverbial folly. Folly is a cheap imitation that parades as wisdom. Folly is advice that's tempting, but it's not good in the end. It's like when the doctor says, okay, Dan, you're pre-diabetic, so you need to go on a diet. And I look at this big piece of decadent chocolate cake, and folly says, it won't bother you at all. And wisdom says, probably in the words of my mother, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips. That's what she would say. (laughs) But folly always has a voice, always leading us astray. We all have longings, desires for security, acceptance, happiness, folly and wisdom both give an answer, but both in very different directions. Then we looked at proverbial faith. Faith is believing that God is good, he's present, and he's able. Faith is not a leap into the dark, but relying on the living God, a loving father who knows us and cares for us. I was in Montana a few months ago at a retreat with some men, and we were outside one night, and we could actually see stars. Last night, I saw two in the sky in Brea, but there we just saw, yeah, a myriad of of stars. And one guy was talking about the struggle of trusting God. And someone said, well, you know how many stars there are in the Milky Way galaxy? It's our galaxy. There's a billion stars. And you know how many galaxies there are? There's 200 billion galaxies that we know of. And the guy said, well, huh, I wonder, I guess it's pretty silly not to trust God. (laughs) When we think the vastness, the power, the omnipotence, the omniscience, we can trust the living God. And that's proverbial faith. Then we looked at proverbial love, putting yourself at a disadvantage for the advantage of others. A great line that um, Pastor Jeff talked about. Love is, not an act, love is an action. It's not just a feeling. It's a sacrifice, something that parents do. We put ourselves at a disadvantage for the advantage of our kids. I remember Steve Osborne, he was one of the pastors here years ago, and he also taught at a local Christian college, the freshman class of Bible, so their first Bible class. And he would go in there, and, and there were a bunch of kids, all from Christian homes, and he'd say, I want you to remember when you left home, do you remember that BMW in your father's garage? Kids would look kind of puzzled, and he'd say, you didn't see it because you're here at this school. He paid for it. 
sacrifice. That's what parents do. They sacrifice. Okay, I thought that was funny, yeah. Hmm. Last week, the 300 volunteers that were here, I worked with the men in the parking garage, much to their disadvantage. They were in the heat all day, almost getting run over so that they would help these kids. We do love for the sake of others. Then we talked about proverbial character. Humility is surrender to God and destroys pride. These are my notes that I took listening to the sermons. We talked about how pride can be so dangerous, how it damages our own lives, how it damages our relationships. And humility is the antidote to pride. And humility comes from surrendering to the living God. And then we went into proverbial speech. When your tongue is under control, your heart is healthy. I remember that phrase Darren shared. The tongue is not the source of the problem. It's a reflection of what's going on in the heart. So let's guard our speech. Let's listen to our speech so we know what's going on. And we're only halfway through the series. So we're going to touch topics such as family, work, peace, pain, choices. So it's, it's going to be great. Today we're pivoting from proverbial wisdom on speech to proverbial wisdom on handling stuff. And we're looking right at Proverbs 30. So if you have your Bible, you could turn there. We're just going to stay in that one passage, those verses that George and Donna read that talk about how to handle stuff wisely. Because we all have stuff. Stuff is necessary. You guys are dressed. Thank goodness, right? You put your stuff on. But all the way from necessity to toys and all the way in between, we all have a lot of stuff. Remember Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, he did that bit on how our houses are just recycling units, that we go to the store, we buy stuff, we put it in the living room, after a few months it goes in the closet, a few months it goes in the garage, a few months later it goes in the dump. And that's our houses. He was a lot more funny when he said it. But that's what we do. We have stuff. We, we accumulate stuff. We have it together, and it's repeated all life. Well, what does God say about stuff? In this passage in Proverbs 30, we see that these Proverbs are not the Proverbs of Solomon. At the beginning of the passage, it talks about a guy named Augur, who was a gatherer. His name means a gatherer, probably a gatherer of wisdom, probably towards the end of his life. He had seen Solomon's life. He had seen Solomon's wisdom. He had seen the end of Solomon that didn't end real well. And he's giving some advice. In the first eight verses of the chapter, we see that he was a man who who loved God, who who had an awesome view of God. He cared for others. He had a sense of humility. He said, I knew Solomon. He was smart. I'm not smart like that, but here's what I've learned. And then he gives some Proverbs. And in verse seven to nine, he starts with a prayer. A prayer that comes deep from his heart. In verse 7 he says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Sounds like an urgent prayer, right? Probably the end of his life. I have a prayer list. It's fairly long. Augur had two things. I got two things, God. Please answer these two things. Here are the two things. Verse 8. First, remove far from me falsehood and lying. God, I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be what you see is what you get. I don't want to be two-faced, duplicitous, a fake, a fraud, a pretender. I want to be a person 
of integrity. And I want that reflected in my speech. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be a person of integrity. Integrity is who we are when no one's watching, right? It's who we really are. Can you imagine if you could tell what people were thinking all the time? There's movies about that, right? It'd be a little scary. But sometimes we don't show what we really think. So this week, I, I, I tried an experiment. I got a t-shirt that I'd, I'd found months ago, and it said, I want it all. And I wore it around town last week just to see the reaction I'd get. Because, I'm, well, that's probably his attitude, right? So as you would expect, um, as women would see me, they would kind of frown and kind of, you know, that's a typical man or something, like whatever they were saying. <laughs> Different with the guys, right? The tool section of Home Depot, I want it all. High fives, right? That's what I'm talking about. There's that feeling of, I want it all. Maybe that's the true heart that that's some, some of us have. Well, that was his, his prayer. I want integrity of heart. The second thing he prays for is that in verse 8 as well, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me or food for today. Interesting. God, I don't want poverty or I don't want riches. He didn't pray for more stuff. Sounds like the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our lotto numbers, right? That's what we pray. No, our daily bread, enough for today. He didn't pray, Lord, I just want to be middle class. He's not saying, look, I just want enough but not too much. He's not trying to be humble. Why is he praying for just enough? We'll see that his greatest concern was that his heart would be close to God. That stuff wouldn't take his heart away from God. He says there's two temptations to stuff in verse 9. He says, lest I be full and deny you. Lest I have too much stuff and I turn my back and I say who is the Lord, which is the temptation of having too much stuff. I remember younger when I was, had a car in college that would break down on the freeway a lot. I was praying a lot. <laughs> I was dependent upon God a lot. Because when it broke down, I had to figure things. I needed God's help. But when I have a lot of stuff, car breaks down, I get it fixed. I get sick, I go to the hospital. I'm hungry, I stop at fast food. I want to rest, I plan a vacation. There's a tendency when we have a ton of stuff not to depend on God. To deny God, Augur says. To live like I don't need him. I can do it myself. Pharaoh was like that. In his pride, he said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? The same thing Augur is saying, lest I say, who is the Lord? Pharaoh had Egypt. He had it all. And he said, who is the Lord? I don't need anybody. Stuff can take our hearts away from the living God. We can be satisfied for a season with stuff, but it doesn't fill the longings of the heart. Prosperity can make us forgetful and, and prideful. It's like that old saying, someone climbed the ladder of a success only to find it was leaning on the wrong building. Right? We go after stuff. Ah, the wrong stuff. Or a businessman who came up to a guy who was fishing. With one pole, he said, why don't you get two poles? Why would I do that? Well, you can catch two fish. 
Well, why would I want to do that? So you can have more fish and sell them. Why would I want to do that? So you can buy a boat. Well, why would I want to do that? So you can get a bigger boat. Why would I want to do that? So you could sell fish and be rich. Well, why would I want to do that? So that you could sit and fish. He says, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> right? We chase stuff sometimes. We're like we're chasing our tail. That's not a true story. Yeah, you know, I don't want to say that. And that was the example of Solomon. David had a whole heart towards God. Saul had no heart towards God. Solomon's heart drifted from God. Even though he had all the wisdom, he collected a lot of stuff that took his heart away. Augur is saying it's not about stuff, but it's what stuff can do to the heart. In ears to hear, we're reading through Exodus about all the furniture in the tabernacle, and it's, it's ornate, it's beautiful, it's gold, it's precious stones, it's fabric, it's majestic as they worship the God in this traveling tent. There's nothing wrong with this stuff. What's the stuff lead us to do? Well, there's several reactions. One, you can accumulate, right? You can accumulate stuff. He who has the most toys wins, right? That used to be a bumper sticker. Folly, right on the back of cars. Yeah, that's not true. I remember my son, when he was in high school, and we were living here in Brea, and he came to me and said, Dad, I need a pair of flip-flops. Well, that's cool. He said, I want a pair of rainbows. I go, what's that? $70 flip-flops. Really? I didn't know those existed. I said, son, I mean, I've taken you to Mexico. I've taken you to Cuba. We've gone all over the world so that you could get a sense of what the world is like and, and the needs of people. And he looked at me and said, Dad, you chose to raise me in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, he's a lawyer now. Yeah, he got a lot of training. Yeah. A good lawyer. One of the good ones. We accumulate. We just like, it's just natural to accumulate. For some people, they can go minimalistic, right? Oh, I'm giving it all away. And pride drives both of those, accumulation and minimalism. It's not about the stuff, but it's about the heart. I have less stuff than you. The answer is not how much stuff, but attitudes and attachments to stuff. Or we can be thankful and acknowledge God owns it all. Well, the other extreme, he says, is to have too much and deny God. And then in verse 9, he says, Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The other temptation is to dishonor God by being so poor that I make bad decisions. Not that I steal, I go to jail and poor me, but that I dishonor my faith. I bring shame to the name of Christ. Augur says, with stuff comes temptations, decisions, distractions, demands on time. Without stuff can come also temptations of stealing and dishonoring God, of not being thankful, of embarrassing. It's all about God and my heart. Proverbs is about the heart. We learned that from speech. It's not the words. It's what's in the heart. The stuff you have is not about your stuff. It's what is it doing to your heart. There's a fear of drifting from God, a fear of distraction, there's nothing wrong with not having much. There's nothing wrong with being poor. Many times poverty can draw a person to Christ. My sister was reminding me of a story in our childhood when we were overseas. Our parents were missionaries and dad was a great man of, of faith. And one day she said she remembered dad bringing 10 people home for lunch. 
And my mom was in the kitchen opening every can of soup she had in the kitchen, crying because she felt there was going to be no food for the family. But those stories replicated themselves so many times because there was always a bag of groceries the next day. On the, there was always God's provision. Sometimes poverty, being poor, drives us to Jesus. When I sit down and, and pray before a meal, whether a restaurant or at home, I have that vision of having nothing. And I am so thankful for whatever it is. And especially the portions we get in restaurants around these days, whoo, it's a lot of stuff. Never take it for granted. Whether we have stuff or don't, our heart is to be attuned to God. When I was thinking about that story of that, I remember he used to always say this in his big bass voice, son, you can never outgive God. And he lived by that. He would, if he had stuff, he'd give it away. He'd come home with no money in his, in his pockets many nights. If he didn't have much, he'd give what he could. You can never outgive God. I remember 11 years ago, uh, he, he was on the platform with me and my son as we were preaching a sermon today, or that 11 years ago on commitment. Now, dad was dressed in a suit, looking good. He was describing, when I come to worship, I'm coming to the king. I want to look good. I want to look my best. My son, who was a teenager at the time, had a t-shirt, jeans, and flip-flops, not rainbows. And he would say, when I come, I just want to be who I am before the living God. And we talked about the differences that we had as a family, but yet the commitment to serve God with all that we had, whether it was a lot or a little. I remember dad that Sunday, he, out of the blue, he said, you know, because he had just been diagnosed with melanoma a few months before. He said, you know, they've told me I need treatment, but I need to go back to China. I need to go back. He had been there many times. He was born and raised there. He wanted to go share some more with, with those that he knew in the region that he lived. And he did. And um, when he came back, it was too late for treatment. And 10 years ago, he passed away. And we had the memorial in this room. And I remember just giving tribute to a person who you can't outgive God. Just keep giving, Dan. Keep giving. You can never outgive God. Don't hold on to your stuff. The early church had many examples of that too, of people who had stuff and used it wisely. I think of Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was a businesswoman in the New Testament who kept her business going, and she supported Paul and the disciples with funds to travel, to teach, to write books, thankfully. But she used her stuff in that way. There's other examples in the scriptures of people who had very little but used their stuff as well for the living God. In 2 Corinthians 8, we read that there was a famine and the church in Jerusalem was having a very difficult time. They were destitute. They were persecuted. They were on the street. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and says something amazing has happened. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, let me read it to you. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief of the saints." Just a story of those that had no stuff, but yet were holding it so loosely what they had, they were willing to give. 
In our partnership in Rwanda we've had for the last 12 years, as we moved into this province that we've adopted, uh, it's one of the most depressed provinces of Rwanda, which has been depressed over the years. During the genocide, this is where many of the Hutus ran to hide from the genocide, and many of them hid in a swamp or up in trees, and the place is still, for months they did, and they're still very depressed in that area. And when we've gone in to meet with the pastors, there's about 30 churches in the area. It's a large area, 30 kind of sectors, and they're from all different denominations. We talk first about their commitment to Christ and and their walk with God and, and, and their discipleship as they're following Christ. The second thing we talk about, because they're looking to us for stuff, right, is to say, you know, next week, why don't we have everyone in the church bring something for the poor? Let's everyone in the church this is a poor area. And they look at us like, we don't have stuff. No, no, no. Have everyone in your church bring something for the poor. Son of a gun, the next week. Son of a gun, that's not really a church word. But anyway, <laughs> the, the, next, the next week, there's this huge pile of clothes as people have brought something. And then they're told, okay, now go take that to a really poor person. And they all know who the really poor people are the ones who are really on the fringe. And from that, they realize, hey, we're not poor. We have resources. And then we talk about water and develop teams and different things. But it's their choosing to give what they have first so that they're not dependent, that they're giving to others. And there's something about stuff, giving it away, that brings incredible joy to us. Why did those folks give in Macedonia? In verse 9, it says in chapter 8, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you may become rich. Jesus modeled stuff, what to do with stuff not to hold on to it. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor in the 1800s, pastored a church in London for 38 years, and he wrote about the poverty of Christ that was very gripping to me. He said, Nevermore was there a poorer man than Christ. He was the prince of poverty. As for his food, he often went hungry. He who dug the springs of the oceans sat upon a well and said to a Samaritan woman, give me something to drink. From the architect of the expansive heavens to foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but I, the son of man, have nowhere to lay my head. He who had once waited on by angels becomes a servant of servants, washing the feet of his disciples. He was once honored with the hallelujahs of the ages, is now spit upon and despised. From the omnipotent and all-powerful to the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. From creator of life to allowing men to nail his hands and legs to a cross. From complete unity and fellowship in the Trinity to my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus did it so we would be rich. He became poor. He used the stuff of glory so that we might have life and have life abundantly. Spurgeon got it right. Jesus did it so we would be rich. 
Jim Elliott said as he, before he was a martyr in 1956 in Ecuador, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We're eventually going to lose all our stuff. There's something more important. The prayer of Augur was a prayer of contentment and a request to neither deny God or dishonor God. I want my stuff not to move me from the living God, to move my relationship. There's a companion passage in the New Testament. Many Old Testaments have a companion passage, a similar passage in the New Testament. And there's one in 1 Timothy 6 that explains the prayer of Augur. It says this in 6.6, But godliness with contentment is your great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich can fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the attachment to stuff, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's what Augur's saying. God, I don't want to have too much and deny you. I don't want to have too little and dishonor you. God, just give me enough for today. May stuff never draw us away from the living God. I'd like to close with three statements. First one is this. Stuff can bring a measure of pleasure but stuff cannot fill my deepest longings. We all have longings, security, pleasure, happiness. These longings can only be filled by walking obediently with God. Stuff can fill our longings for a season, but never for eternity. When I see George and Donna Warren up here sharing, reading the scriptures, I think of this young couple who left a small church here in 1968 to go overseas to serve for years. They've completed 50 years overseas. And God has blessed them. And they would say their lives are full, not chasing stuff, but chasing God's will for their lives. And they're some of the most happiest, peaceful people I know. Stuff can bring a measure of pleasure, but it can't fill the deepest longings. Secondly, stuff can gain control of you, or you can gain control of your stuff. There's a danger of having stuff control us. We love stuff. There's nothing wrong with it, but it can be a snare. I read statistics about stuff this week, and specifically about storage units in America. You'd be surprised. Maybe not. There's 2.3 billion square feet of rented storage units in the U.S. We like our stuff. 65% of self-storage renters have a garage in their home. 47% have an attic. 33% have a basement. This suggests, the study concludes, that Americans have more things than their homes can allow. (laughs) We do. We have a lot of stuff. We love to accumulate stuff. Nothing wrong with the stuff unless it owns us. Part of being a wonderful part of being in this church is the generosity of this church. For VBS, when we said we need 1,000 or 3,000, 5,000 cookies, we got the cookies. When we say we need help for the Compassion Fund, it's there. We need help repairing the buildings, it's there. We need funds in the general fund, it's there. For our short-term missions, they go out fully funded. There's something awesome about being a part of a family that gets this. We hold our stuff loosely. We need to continue to that. Thirdly, 
We can't, you can't take stuff with you, but you can send stuff ahead. You can't take it with you. I've never seen a U-Haul at any of the funerals I've done. <laughs> the roads aren't big enough in Loma Vista, right? No, they don't come in there. I've never seen a double-wide casket so someone can take their books and their doodads or whatever is important to them. It doesn't happen. We can't take it with us, but we can send it ahead. John Colomb told me a story that's not true, not because of John Colomb, but it's a funny story. Anyway, it's about this guy who dies. And uh, I thought that was funny, but no, John will get me. And he did well. He saved his money, and he was about ready to die. And he bargained with Peter, says, can I take one suitcase with me to heaven? Nope, nothing allowed. He begs, yes, I want one suitcase. So he says, okay, you can take one suitcase. He loads up all his gold coins, all his jewelry, everything that's worth everything to him. He gets to heaven, opens it up. Peter looks at it and says, why did you bring asphalt? (laughs) The streets are paved with gold? Yeah, okay. Yeah, the things that we think are so important. Ah, nothing. In Matthew 6... Oh, we just got it? Wow, okay. Matthew 6. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust corrupt, neither do thieves kill and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Jesus is saying it's not about our stuff. It's about our heart. Where are we saving stuff? I was reading a couple weeks ago a journal that I'd written 20 years ago. I don't have that much time that I read this. But anyway, I was reading it. I don't know how I got to this journal. But it had a story in it that reminded me of today. It was a story where I had gone into a craft store with my wife. Well, actually, I was walking behind her into the craft store. Or to be more honest, she had been in the craft store. I was waiting in the car, and I thought she had died. So I'm going into the craft store. So I go in to rescue her, and we're at the counter. We're talking to the lady, um, you know, craft talk. And somehow she asked, hey, um, where do you go to church? And I said, oh, we go to Evie Free Fullerton. She said, I went there 25 years ago. So that's now 45 years ago from today. I said, really, do you know so-and-so? No, so-and-so, no, so-and-so, no. We went through the list. And finally, she said, you know, I remember there was a person there who saved my life. I said, really? She said, yes, I was going through a hard time, and I called a guy named Jim Wright. He dropped everything, came over, gave me advice, helped me out. That changed my life. Can you send him a note? I said, sure. She wrote a note. It was, I'm married to a godly man. I have a family, and I'm so thankful to Jim. And I took the note to Jim. We shed a few tears. And you, if you know Jim, he passed away two months ago at a very young age of 72. A man who 45 years ago, even to this day, was one who was always giving to the neighbor kids. He'd give stuff. I've heard stories last week of what he would do to a neighbor for a neighbor kid. Uh, just always giving. A man who realized it wasn't about stuff. It was about a heart attitude. Jim is now enjoying his stuff in heaven. He's got a lot of stuff that he sent on ahead. My hope is that we are a family of Jim Wrights. 
people that see our stuff, we got our stuff, but we're not letting it take our hearts away from Jesus. We're giving it, we're using it, we're giving him the glory. Will you pray with me? Father, every time we open your word, you speak through the power of your spirit. We've not come in here today dressed, driven, in order to be entertained or just to see friends. We came to hear from you. God, we want to hear from you. What are you saying to us about our lives, our stuff? What are you saying to us about giving our lives to you fully? I know there's some here, Father, that have not yet trusted you as their Savior. Lord, speak to them. Woo them to yourself. That they can have a relationship with the living God who gives life, abundant life. Lord, help us, those that have stuff. We live in Southern California. To be open-handed. To be free to give. To be generous. To not let it turn our hearts away from you. Knowing that the reward for knowing you is not stuff. The reward for knowing Jesus is Jesus. A relationship with the living God who provides all our needs. So we thank you, Father, that we can worship. Father, as we now sing uh, songs of commitment... May this be the prayer of our heart. We want Jesus. Just Jesus. Help us to surrender our stuff. Help us to cling to you. Help us to hear your voice as we worship together. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.